This episode features a mention of suicide, as well as discussion of death and human remains. Welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things, which are sometimes historical, but sometimes not. And we like to start by talking about what we're making. So what are you up to? Um, I committed a crime. That sounds bad. Well... I've made baked donuts before, and I have a bunt tin, so I made oh, a no. giant donut. A donut bunt? Like proper donut dough with jam okay. inside, but in a bunt tin, and then I iced it and put sprinkles on it and just made a giant donut. That's just a cake. It's not. It's different ingredients. It's like a cake with a hole in it. (laughs) It's not because it's not a cake dough. It's like an enriched bread. Well, sure, but if you put it in a cake tin and you bake it, it's a cake in my book. Hard disagree. I don't think I come to any kind of peaceful conclusion on this. I would accept brioche because that's also enriched bread dough. But it's Maybe. a giant donut. I'm gonna well, th- granny sounds delicious, but. I, I shared a picture in the server and people agree it's a giant donut. Oh, well, people are wrong. <laughs> and I will die on this hill. Those people are our patrons. Yeah, they're all wrong and they should feel bad. Okay, but look at this picture and tell me that isn't a giant donut. I stand by it. What what have you been up to? <laughs> um, not that much, honestly, because I've been away from home on placement for my um my university course. Uh but I did take some knitting with me, of course. Um, oh, and I went to the Wheels and Downland Museum on um, Sunday, oh, cool. uh, the Wheels and Downland Living Museum, which is my favourite museum. It has got many um, historical houses that were saved from destruction and were taken down and rebuilt in the exact same like order, but in this massive park. And it's really cool. Oh, that's um, cool. There's a place in the Midlands like that, um, Avoncroft. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think there's a few around, um, not just in the UK either, but um, it's fantastic. Uh, and they had a wool weekend. Okay. That just happened to be <laughs> the weekend I went there. <laughs> so they had um, people spinning and weaving in different ways from different eras um and it was fantastic and they there was a great wheel 
in fact there were several great reels um i will post pictures on the twitter um if you guys haven't seen a great wheel before it's awesome it's like the first spinning wheel invented um well when i say great wheel what i mean is spinning wheel that this is on a tangent now but like um <laughs> yeah this is for another episode i think yeah like medieval british people were absolutely not the first people to invent the spinning wheel um <laughs> but it it kind of made its way there in that time um and that's what i'm referring to with great wheel um but it's it's large anyway anyway and they had a sort of a vertical warp weighted loom and it was really really cool and i'll put pictures yeah <laughs> we need a loom episode at some point soon we do need a loom episode that would be amazing um i volunteer as tribute <laughs> anyway so that's more something that i experienced the making of rather than have made but I don't really have anything relevant apart from that. So for today's episode where we're approaching Halloween this is our last episode before Halloween and I thought Ooh. what's the scariest food? The answer is human flesh. So I've been learning about cannibalism. Okay. I, I will admit that is not what popped into my head when I thought about scary foods. Because, you know, it's not something I generally consider in the food category. You, you know what? That's valid. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it counts, though, I would say, as as a Halloween episode. Um, I hope so, because we did a lot of research. Buckle up, everyone. Let's go. Um, okay, so unsurprisingly, we have archaeological evidence for cannibalism. Um, actually, pre-human. We have... Um, possible evidence of Neanderthals butchering um, humans, like anatomically modern humans, Homo sapiens, and okay. other Neanderthals. Um, we, we think for food, because the marks are from the same tools that you would use to butcher animals, and it's the same kinds of marks. It's possible that they were remo removing the flesh for other reasons, but it's probably to eat. Right. Wow. So this, is, this has been going on forever. Yeah, that's pretty conclusive evidence. Um, I should say as well, I'm not going to cover things like um, the Donner Party and plane crashes and that, because I, I think survival cannibalism is maybe a little bit outside of our remit mm -hmm. when it's just kind of I did what I had to do to survive <laughs> yeah I guess this is more like in history rather than like uh, an outlying event mm. 
Um, although that said, it does pop up in mythology a lot. Um, especially ancient Greek and Chinese. Okay. There's a lot of stories of people being, and especially of gods being tested by being fed their children. Okay. I guess, actually, now that you mention it, I can think of a few, like, cannibalism episodes in mythology. You like, um, was it Kronos? Or Kronos? Yeah, Kronos is, is the big one, I think, where he just eats all of his babies because he's been told that one of them is going to overthrow him. But then I because mean, they they're gods, they survive being eaten. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely going to overthrow you if you eat them. I mean, Greece liked a good self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> it indeed does. There are also accounts of Chinese emperors eating people, but it's unclear how much of that is people actually doing that and how much of it is slander. Okay. Because obviously that's a very good way to be like, hey this guy's evil yeah it has been used as a way to like get bad press for other people for like a quite a lot hasn't it yeah i mean a big one is um so the words caribbean as in the sea and cannibal actually have the same Mm -hmm. etymology okay um, which is from the carib people which was an indigenous group um, in the Caribbean, who Columbus basically went, well, they eat people, therefore they're subhuman, and it's okay to take them as slaves, because mm-hmm. because Columbus was the worst. Yeah. I, I would like to get a lot harsher about Columbus, but this is a clean podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with your uh, estimation. Um, which, again is a thing of it might have happened but probably not as much as he says and if it did that's not an excuse mm-hmm. cuz there are there are people um i mean most famously the uh foray people in papua new guinea mm-hmm. who practice funerary cannibalism as a mark an act of respect to the dead yeah. and also um sort of keeping their spirit, their life force, whatever you want to call it, within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I will come back to them. Okay. Um, but yeah, so funerary cannibalism, things like using, eating flesh, particularly the heart, as a religious practice, pops up in groups like the Aztec as a way of communing with the gods. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could argue that some branches of Christianity, there's, I mean, just, there's different levels of how symbolic it is, but there is eating Jesus. I mean, I would, I would say that that counts as at least, like, role-playing cannibalism. Yeah, I mean... There is the part where Jesus isn't entirely human, but he's 
he's referred to as the son of man a lot, which I think is at least half points. Yeah, and it, I mean, I, I suppose it depends what, like, spiritual view you take, but if you're, if we're going with, like, it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ, then yeah. I, I reckon that counts. Transubstantiation is at least half a cannibalism, in my opinion. <laughs> That's a great sentence. Yeah, and then you'll get it used as, um, sort of for medicinal things quite a lot um there's a one of the big texts in traditional chinese medicine the uh benkao gangmu from the 16th century talks about using 35 different human parts um or products in some cases as medicine oh wow Didn't know I had 35 different parts. Although interestingly, it doesn't give uses for 12 of those because the author uh, Li Shisen considered them foul and thought that it was not okay to use them even if they did work. Oh, right. Really interesting. I wonder why. Yeah, I, I couldn't... Unfortunately, I couldn't find... sources on this that weren't in mandarin okay so i mean if if anyone knows why those particular 12 were not okay please do let us know yeah that would be really really cool to know um but yeah there's some quite interesting stuff including um pubic hair for snake bites oh apparently sucking on it stops the venom from getting into your organs okay with that countless can cannibalism do we think because it's not is hair is hair a part of your body once it's removed so some of it i don't think would be full Full cannibalism, I guess we've already talked about half cannibalism. <laughs> um, but it, it's still, yeah. you know, consuming parts of the body. I suppose, yeah. But I would assume in this case it would be removed from the body first. Um, there is also, as a kind of last-ditch attempt, there is a record of some people feeding a dying parent a part of their own body normally something small like um the joint of a finger oh. in an attempt to heal them okay and that one definitely counts hmm i absolutely um but i think the most interesting sort of human medicine in the Benkao Gangmu is the mellified man, which is something that Herodotus talks about as well, which is this practice of um, a holy man, normally, um, in the towards uh. the end of his life, switching to just eating honey. And then when that, you know, inevitably you're going to die doing that, 
then being buried in honey for a hundred years. And people then used the honey as a medicine. Wow. Um, like, I, I feel like I've heard of the the word like mellified before. I didn't realize what, like it it went to that extent. Like I thought, I thought it was gonna be something to do with um, the the um, religious practice whereby some like early people would um like basically fast until like self mummification like essentially um well th this is a form of self mummification but it's specifically hmm. the preservative qualities of honey doing a lot of the work yeah specifically with honey wow what's that supposed to do for you um it's kind of a cure all okay um, so Herodotus talks about Assyrians um, doing this in the 4th century BC. Um, Lisa Zen talks about people in Myanmar doing it. Although there's some debate about basically the possibility of Lisa Zen getting confused and mm -hmm. sort of combining the, this concept of human medicine with mellification and that people in Myanmar didn't actually eat the honey or the body. Okay. Oh, so like it was just a, a burial practice? Yeah. Um, I mean, supposedly Alexander the Great was preserved in honey. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's unclear whether people were actually eating the bodies, but they were definitely using the honey in some cases, mm -hmm. as a panacea. Okay. Um, but, I mean, a lot more recently we still get people using body parts for medicine. I mean, the obvious one is uh, mummia, which is ground-up mummies. Okay. Is that specifically ancient Egyptian mummies? Theoretically. Okay. Because I know there are like several world cultures that have practiced mummification. Um, mm -hmm. But I know there was a big thing about Egyptian mummies being like stolen and ground up for medicine. Yeah, sort of in the late medieval period onwards, there was a lot of sort of exotification of. Egypt as a general sort of spiritual concept I would argue mm -hmm. right the way up until probably post-1920s um, but yeah from apparently from the 15th century people were eating ancient Egyptian mummies that's pretty early various ailments but you might imagine that supply and demand was a slight problem uh, yeah so some people who thought they were eating mummies were eating bodies stolen from pauper's graves oh no that's unpleasant that is unpleasant mm. 
and kind of wild because this this was still going on in like the Victorian period, and uh... it's kind of wild that there's an overlap of, you know, rich Europeans eating mummies, quote unquote, for their health, and those same people saying. Ah, it's fine to enslave these people because they eat humans. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot going on there. Bit of a hypocrisy there. Oh, gosh. And also doing things like dipping handkerchiefs in the blood of executed criminals because apparently it can cure epilepsy. Right. Just gonna put it out there that it doesn't. It it does not. <laughs> um, just in case. Yeah, the don't don't eat people. Don't smear epileptic people with the blood of executed criminals or any other blood, really. Also, just, like I mean, yeah, you probably seek medical like... help for epilepsy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's that's the kind of hot take um, you only get at bread and bread. Also, don't drink blood unless you know where it's been. Yeah. Um. Some people, it's kind of a trend at the moment as well to eat your placenta after giving birth. No, I have heard of that one. Yeah. Um. Is it, it cannibalism? Wendy wellness it... thing. Yeah, yeah. Is it cannibalism if it's con- like consensual? I suppose it still is, isn't it? Because like societies that practice like cultural cannibalism, that's generally by consent, right after the death of the person. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that is a question that came up in Germany in two thousand and one. Oh, is this the- okay? Should we? Should we? I just have another question about the placenta. So, shall we? Yeah, yeah, we'll do the placenta first, and then we'll go to Germany. Okay, because I do, I think I know what you're going to talk about, and it is, um, it's a story. Um, yeah, so, does, is it actually good for you, eating the placenta? Um, we only have anecdotal evidence. There hasn't been a proper medical study. Okay. Although, I can see where they're coming from, from with the idea. Yeah, I mean, it's meant to have a nutrient... All... Non-domesticated land mammals eat their placenta. I suspect domesticated ones would as well if you gave them a chance. Oh. Um, some people think that it helps with things like bonding with the baby, with postnatal depression, um, uh-huh. encouraging lactation. Right. Again, there's no... We don't have any medical evidence for this but it's it's a very strong belief and it is a growing thing there's even companies who will dry the placenta for you and then give you like pills of it that you can take okay or some people will fry it or put it in a smoothie okay how do i feel about smoothie Hmm. Needless to say, the companies that do this charge a lot of money. Uh yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's pretty easy to do yourself. I would have thought. Not like turn into pills, but like you know, just do it a wash and whack it in the frying pan. 
Yeah. I have seen I'm, I'm a little bit sad that I couldn't find any anyone talking about what it actually tastes like. Hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I like awful. <laughs> it's just awful, right? That's one of those where it'd be it would be good to have like actual actual research on it and, and find out what it actually does. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, I'm keeping an eye on that because I'm intrigued. I recently learned that um, chickens often eat their own eggs if they're feeling like they need the the nutrients back. They they just eat the egg. I mean, that's fair. I mean, an, an egg's basically a period, right? Yeah, like that's a similar thing, right? Hmm. Okay, let's talk about Germany. Let's talk about Germany. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, whether consensual cannibalism is illegal is really interesting. There's no law against it in most countries. Because um, mm -hmm. it's generally considered, you know, it goes hand in hand with murder. Uh -huh. Or in places like uh, the UK and the US, it comes under desecration of a corpse. That makes sense. Um, even if it is consensual, because there's bas there's laws in place um, that are basically if the average person would find it distasteful or disrespectful, it counts as disrespecting the corpse, which is a <laughs> whole thing, I think. <laughs> Of like, yeah, like it. Because the you don't person. think it's okay doesn't mean it's not okay. If you're in a multicultural society, then you know, who is the average person? <laughs> like, I'm just saying, if I die of natural causes and my loved ones want to feel closer to me by eating some of my meat, I'm fine with that. <laughs> okay, well, but the law would not <laughs> allow it. Um. So Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> There's yeah. a hypothetical situation for you all. <laughs> so in, in 2001, um, a man named um, Armin Maywes in Germany um, put out an advert asking for someone who would consent to being killed and eaten and found a man named uh, Bernd Brands who he then did kill and eat and it was it was a big problem the court case over it because it was consensual he didn't violate any laws <laughs> was basically the argument of the defense was he wanted this everything was all consensual we have you know it, there are records that this was consensual um, but eventually he was charged with basically assisting someone in suicide. I, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that will come under assisted suicide. We're going to have to put some warnings on this episode, aren't we? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I, I would think it would technically come under that category and that is illegal and probably most 
countries. I think I most places, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, apart from criminal prosecution, there are risks to cannibalism, which is mm. where we come back to the foray people. Mm-hmm. Um, who have a problem with a disease called Kuru, which is a type of prion disease, uh, which is things like mad cow disease and zombie deer disease are prion diseases. Okay. Um, so it was noted that it was more prevalent in women and children because you basically you get it from eating uh, especially the brain of someone who are already has has it to some extent has this um this prion issue and men were more likely to get what we would consider the meat like the the good bits and women okay. and children would get more the awful parts feels really right. weird to say awful in this context but I'm I'm going with it because you know what I mean when I say it I I do I do and it is um, but interestingly, people studying Kuru in the foray um, found that there is a gene that protects against prion disease, which is more prevalent in them than in the average human population. All right. Um, but a lot of people do have it. So there's a theory that... Um, humans not just neanderthals were eating other humans in prehistory mm-hmm. and getting kuru and so this gene became a useful adaptation and spread right wow so it kind of comes all the way back to the beginning with looking at prehistoric stuff it's like <laughs> Yeah, like ancient DNA, because this disease was found in this one population. Wow, that is amazing. So that is that is my brief history of humans consuming humans. That, that was... was adequately Halloweeny. <laughs> oh, definitely spine tingling. <laughs> um no that was that was really cool if a little strange to think about um but I feel like if there's any two people who can talk about the like social history of cannibalism without finding it weird it's us um yeah I mean it's it's it was really interesting to look into yeah it's it's I think it's interesting the sort of ideas that people have about it and how like Obviously, cannibalism through necessity has always been a thing, but it sounds like cannibalism for other reasons has also always been a thing. Yeah. And there's, there's, I don't know, there's kind of a level of how weird is it, actually? I think it's definitely your sort of cultural and social perception of weird. Um. Yeah, I guess it's it's going back to that, would the average person find it weird? Who is that? Well, yeah, exactly. Who is the average person? Because I 
I think I read about um, one of the peoples who still practice um, funerary cannibalism and um, I, I think a anthropologist or something, you know, telling them um, that in their country they bury the dead and they were like, why would you do that? That's really disrespectful. You're putting in the in, in the ground where they decompose. Like, so, you know, from that perspective, burial mm. is is really disrespectful and and like weird to think about so yeah it's i think it's definitely a, a nurture thing hello i'm mod pencil from probably bad rpg ideas if you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real and what is the best rules for an oak? Then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are, and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. So, what is our local larder this week? Um, somewhat unrelated. Uh, but I, I would mean... be surprised if it was related. <laughs> um, I have been staying by the seaside for a couple of weeks very nice and i would talk a little bit about seaside rock i, I do love a stick of rock um basically everyone loves a stick of rock yeah <laughs> um in fact as i will explain people around the world enjoy a stick of rock um so if you've never had rock rock the like type of confectionery before um I'll, I'll put a picture on the twitter um it is the sugariest thing because it's made out of pure sugar <laughs> it is basically just sugar um it is notoriously tooth rotting um it, it is basically a stick of like pulled sugar candy very hard um but characteristically it has um, it's like coloured on the outside, um, often red, and then white in the middle. But then it has letters or sometimes even pictures um, on the inside, and they run through the whole thing. So traditionally, it's the name of the seaside resort that's like inside the stick of rock. And then, you know, as you eat it, because the lettering goes all the way through, like you can still see that letter or picture, like all the way down. Um, yeah, so it's a really like you can get it at like basically every British seaside resort. Um, it's uh, not very even just resorts. Just pretty much anywhere on the coast, there's a good chance there's going to be somewhere selling it. <laughs> oh yeah, seaside town. Um, yeah it's it's um it's a really nostalgic thing i think a lot of people have childhood memories of like going to the beach and getting a stick of rock and then like sucking on that stick of rock for the entire day <laughs> until it gets really sharp and your parents tell you you're gonna ruin your dinner yeah <laughs> but you don't care um and and then like Basically like yeah, a uncurved candy cane <laughs> and then a couple of months later you find the like half eaten um, sticky really sticky sticky <laughs> rock 
in the bottom of your bag um, that you didn't finish. <laughs> yeah, that's Seaside Rock. Um, and it's great. You can still get it in lots of I've not had one for ages. I need to do that. Oh, we got some this summer from New Brighton, and it did say New Brighton all the way through. Yes! <laughs> Classic. Um, so I actually learned that the lettering and the like designs inside a stick of rock can only be done with hand. Um, it's, it's too delicate to be done by machine. So cool. certain parts of the process of making rock are done by machine. Um, but that that part has to be done by hand. So it's basically just sugar syrup, um, and it's mixed together with water, and that's it. <laughs> You, it's just boiled until it's like hard crack stage um, and then they pour it out add the colours and stuff if it needs um, it's all mixed in by hand and then it's kind of aerated like it's kind of pulled and folded pulled again like I feel like there's a few videos of that sort of thing going around there are um, some very good videos i'll put a link to to one in the episode description yeah yeah so i think i think there's a lot of similar sweets you know that are made in this way but the thing about rock um is that it, it's got the like iconic shape and the lettering mm-hmm. and like it's a stick of rock um so yeah uh, and then they so that that aerates the sugar like candy and that's basically what turns it white which is really interesting and then they like make up the rock so they put in the lettering and everything um and the outside layer and then it's just like pulled into a really long strip Um, but apparently they make the letters because it still has to be like a little bit soft when you make it. So all of the blocky letters are made first, like the square ones, because they're not going to lose their shape. And then letters that have a round shape are made like just before they put it all together um, so that it doesn't lose its shape. And then that's, it's really that's cool. Together. You don't really think about the logistics of it. Yeah, exactly um quite nice so it's a, it's a pretty uncomplicated thing to make in terms of ingredients um and apparently it came out of a a sweet called fair rock which was being sold at fairs in the 19th century um but it didn't have any of the like extra decoration or anything um, so was it and a then... stick of sugar yeah just just basically like a stick of sugar candy um and then um well the invention of lettered seaside rock is there's a story where it's credited to somebody called dynamite dick which is quite a name um yeah it seems to be agreed that the first manufacturer like of seaside rock lettered rock 
is um, a guy from Burnley <laughs> who went on holiday to Blackpool and uh, in 1887 set up this um, factory and started producing lettered rock and Blackpool was the first place where it was sold. So you're um, saying it's a cool Lancastrian invention. I am. I am. You should be <laughs> proud. <laughs> and that kind of spread to like all the coastal resorts and the seaside thing. Um, but like each place would would have their own name and traditionally it's like either, you know, like for example, um, you know, just 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 taking a random one, but um I'm from Sussex, so I'm gonna go with Brighton, sorry Blackpool. Um, like Brighton Rock or a present from Brighton or like memories of Brighton or something because you know you're not going to finish that in one day. <laughs> um, I mean you can you can get small ones. Um, you can get. You're not going to finish that in one day. There, I I know people who will not be named named and shamed, who I have seen <laughs> consume a stick of rock in a day. Okay, I guess it depends if you suck the rock or you're one of those absolute heathens that just bite it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can just crunch your way through it. But mm. <laughs> um, but then your teeth get all sticky. Yeah. It's a horrible feeling. But apparently the way that they make it is they it's extruded into like a really really long strip and then it's cut into sticks which is like i want to see the long rock <laughs> give me the long rock <laughs> like you can get i like there are like giant versions right um yeah, like i have seen videos of them making it where they kind of grab the end of it and kind of swing it backwards and forwards so it stretches down which looks mm-hmm. really weird and I always just kind of want to bite into it <laughs> you can also get the you know where they cut it into little bits and like almost like individual sweets and then you can eat it that way I mean I think a lot of places have like at that point it's just like normal um boiled sugar candy I suppose but it's still got the lettering through it which is nice oh rock exactly and that and that means that you can cut it into the you you can slice it up and every piece will have the lettering the same Mm. and so there you go um yeah and it's um it's not just a british thing actually um like this particular i mean that particular lettered style might be but like i like i just said this type of sweet is also sold across the world um so there's a few like regional varieties um there's one that a dutch type that really really closely resembles it um and is specifically like a fairground sweet and that can have different like logos and stuff inside as well um but can also have different flavors um and uh, there's there's like a japanese version as well called kintaro ame um and the example i've got here has like little faces in it it's kind of cute oh, that's cute but again the similar in the process of like how it's made with the like pictures inside 
Um, but I, I think that version is more like they make the the long strip and then they cut it up into into like smaller sweet sized bits. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's rock. Um, it's a pretty pretty simple thing and a pretty simple history, but um, I don't know. It's just just full of like nostalgia for me and. Um, Oh no, same. Like we we went to Blackpool every year when I was a kid. Oh nice. I've never been to Blackpool. Oh, I've got to take you to Blackpool. <laughs> you will have to take me on a lads weekend to Blackpool. <laughs> and we will get rock. <laughs> we will get rock and fish and chips. Yes. Fucking chips. Oh yeah, speaking of, um it is uh famously a feature of uh Graham Greene's novel Brighton Rock, which is has also been made into a film a couple times. Um where I think one of the characters is, is describing like um like what it's like to to be a certain way and it's like oh it's like a stick of Brighton Rock. However far you bite it down, it still says Brighton on it. Like that. Yeah. In fact, the remake of Brighton Rock was actually filmed in Eastbourne, mostly, because Eastbourne Pier looked more like Brighton Pier in the 50s than Brighton Pier does now. Cool. So there was a big sign saying welcome to Brighton on the side and it was very confusing. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Um if you want to help pay for our last weekend to Blackpool, <laughs> uh we have a Patreon, uh patreon.com slash bread and thread, where you can get access to Patreon exclusive recipes, a Discord server where we talk about food and crafts and history. And at £10 a month or more, we will make a bonus episode just for you on anything that you want. Uh, you can find us at bread and thread podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to tell us any that we've missed off the podcast um if you want to give us ideas for future episodes um if you want to give us some things to do in blackpool yeah we actually we got a really nice email from someone called ewan on the bread and thread email so shout out to ewan we will do the episode you requested soon thank you ewan um we also have a tumblr which is Bren Thread, and a YouTube, which is Bren Thread, and Twitter, which is Bren Thread, where you can find uh, announcements of upcoming episodes and pictures and things that we say we're going to put on there. Um, and also, we do also have a new video on the YouTube. Um, a couple of episodes ago, we made an episode about the suffrage cookbook a book sold to raise funds for suffragettes in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I, made, I made one of the cakes from there, the scripture cake. Amazing. So 
If you want to learn about that, yeah, head to our YouTube channel, Bread and Thread. <laughs> is is that anyone... everything? I think that is everything. So, that's oh, right. Have a fun couple of weeks, everyone. We will see you next time. And happy Halloween! Happy Halloween!